Hello and welcome to the self-hosted web. My name is Richard Hemmer. We are now at episode 5 of this podcast and while for the last four episodes I talked about specific applications and software, this time we are getting a bit more philosophical. I hope it will be food for thought for anyone who's interested in self-hosting and keeps asking themselves the questions, self-hosting, what is it good for? Why do we do it? And are there greater implications? In order to answer these and a few more pressing questions, I've got a special guest for this episode. Her name is Kasia Odrosek. She works for the Mozilla Foundation and her job, quite literally, is to look at the health of the internet. I met Kasia while at the Republika in Berlin a few months back and she was gracious enough to talk to me about Mozilla, open source, the open web and self-hosting. Before we go into more detail though, I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, uh, thanks. I'm pleased to be here. My name is uh, Kasia Odrosek. Uh, I work for Mozilla Foundation. I'm a project manager for Internet Health Report. So, the Internet Health Report. What is it? And how can we measure the health of the Internet? The Internet Health Report um, is a publication by Mozilla F uh, Foundation. It's an open source compilation of research, analysis and stories uh, around five issues uh, that's trying to tell the story what helps and what hurts the Internet. Uh, we believe that Internet is our public global uh, resource uh, that should be open and accessible to both to all. And we, uh, as I said, we gather stories and, and research and data points around five issues. These issues uh, are far um, reaching from openness, um, web literacy, digital inclusion, uh, privacy and security, and decentralization. Um, we um, compile the research and we tell the stories we're not alone in our office in Mozilla in Berlin or, or in Canada, but we work with a, with a broad community. That's why we call it open source. We work with institutions, with researchers, with uh, human rights activists, digital rights activists, um, because we, we don't think we have all the answers, but we're trying to you know, harness the, um, the, the collective mind of the, of the open community, so to say, to understand a little little bit more and to, uh, to explain in an accessible voice uh, what's happening to the internet. What are the things that are helping us? What are the things that, that hurt us? We publish it annually. Um, so last year we published uh, a prototype, it was like a small version in January 2017. And just last month on April 10, we published the first full version of an internet health report. It is a, it's a website. Uh, with a lot of content, uh, but no worries, you don't need to read everything. We designed it in a way, a bit like a, a Lego blog, so that you can uh, click your way through different stories. Uh, we also highlighted three um, so-called spotlight uh, topics, where we talk about uh, fake news, we talk about uh, securing the Internet of Things, and we talk about um, uh, centralization, so the dominance of the five um, technology giants. Um, and uh, we have a lot of data visualizations and so on, so I would encourage everybody to, to go on the website and uh, check it out. If you prefer to read something on your reader or print it out, we also provide a PDF. Uh, it's a short version of the report, um, but that's a, a very good first step to get an idea of what it's about. The report is cut up into various sections, like openness, digital inclusion or web literacy, 
The most pertinent to this here podcast is probably decentralization. The report is yet again divided into little subsections dealing with questions like which internet giant controls how much of the web, from messaging to search to shopping. And the results are, well, dire. But as an avid self-hoster or even listener to this podcast, you're probably well aware of that already. Very few but very large companies control most of the parts of the web where people spend their time, which is mostly social networks, chats and search. And as I've detailed in previous episodes of this podcast, if people started to use their own self-hosted software, stepping away from these giants, it would be a great first step to combat that kind of centralization. I asked Kasha what she thinks about centralization, or rather, what she thinks about decentralization. Well, I would certainly be happy if we had uh, more choices and more alternatives out there. And I'm not talking just about choices being out there, but viable alternatives. Uh, because right now, when you look at it, um, there is no real alternative to Facebook because all of your friends uh, are there. So even if you uh, would like to go to Mastodon or so on, your friends won't follow. Also, uh, carrying all your data uh, to another service is problematic now with the new European Directive GDPR. This is uh, supposed to be may, may be possible, but we're going to see how it's going to be implemented. Uh, so I think having, uh, having alternatives... Uh, it's always healthy for the competition and for innovation on the market. And right now, when we look at our market right now, so with Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft, we just see a dominance of the of the big players and uh, that are basically stifling innovation. So if you think about it, if you'd like to start a new social network today, uh, you are discouraged kind of from the beginning because we think all my friends uh, are on Facebook. Facebook has all the money. Facebook has all the data. Facebook has all the resources. How am I going to make my way to the top or even to, to start to be a real alternative? Uh, and as you said, uh, decentralized networks also have the value of, of uh, not accumulating all the data in one place. Uh, just like Facebook is. Facebook doesn't only own uh, Facebook itself, but also Instagram um, and, and WhatsApp. And uh, they easily can accumulate a huge amount of data and, and cross them from different platforms. So, so they, they, they can really precisely target us and they, uh, their business model uh, relies on ads. And what can happen with that uh, if there is a breach or, uh, or any other kind of problem we just saw with the recent sc uh, scandal of Cambridge Analytica. So I think... It's definitely worth thinking about alternatives, and I uh, surely hope that uh, that uh, people will start maybe understanding what the danger is uh, of, uh, of uh, dominance that we have right now, and maybe start convincing others. Because I think that's how it starts in the end. Like you need to start convincing your your friends, maybe change the messenger or change the network, uh, and. Once people understand what the danger is, they may be more inclined to change it. I read somewhere that the new service has to be 10 times better than the old ones for people to change. So we need to still to work towards it. Because otherwise, people always prefer comfort uh, above any kind of security. And that's an interesting point Kasha makes here at the end. A new service needs to be 10 times as good as the old one in order to be able to convince people to switch over. And it's no secret that the quality of a service, the ease of installation and the ease of use are factors that determine whether someone wants to switch over to a self-hosted service or not. 
The good thing is that a lot of high-quality, open-source, decentralized services have been developed these last few years, a few of which I've already talked about in this podcast. And while it's an uphill battle to convince people to leave their entrenched hosted services for something that might afford them more freedom, but at the same time might also be more cumbersome, it is an effort that can be fruitful in the future, just not always immediately. So in that vein, I asked Kasha what other strategies she thinks might help in getting people to come and join the dark, um, the fun side. Well, I think that's one, one of many. Uh, I think I, I think you certainly to appeal to the masses, you need a very good product. Uh, we cannot kid ourselves that. Uh, it's not, otherwise, it's going to be just like the geeky community that appreciates open source and understands its, uh, its value. I think you need to come up with a good product, but also on the other hand, you need to do some education uh, within uh, society. I think here in Germany, people are more... Uh, aware of, of, of privacy issues and so on but when you look all around the world uh, it's not it's not the same kind of uh, kind of um, sensitivity to it so so I personally think that you need to have a good product to um, to offer an alternative but then again um, when Facebook in itself we cannot forget that it also brought us a lot of goodness, right? It, it, it enabled uh, uh, us to, to connect with people from around the world, uh, um, uh, create groups, find friends, and so on. So we can also start thinking about not only about alternatives, but also how to improve what we already have. Uh, so whether this is uh, thinking about regulation of, of such tech giants or uh, creating uh, a pressure through advocacy groups, um, I think you need to start biting it from different sides uh, to, find, uh, to find the right, the, the golden middle, so to say, how it's going to work. So that's an interesting approach. What Kasha is saying is that even though it's important to find ways to get people to use decentralized tools or platforms, we shouldn't get rid of those services that shape the landscape of the web we know nowadays. Now, of course, hardcore self-hosting enthusiasts might scoff at the idea that we should try to improve the situation with tech giants by, say, pressuring them to adhere to privacy or security standards or by pressuring governments to make sure they do whatever is necessary to not allow a total monopolization. But to me, that sounds very sensible. We won't be able to sway everyone to move away from tech giants and carve out their own self-hosted empire. But we can make sure that the damage that's already been done, or might be done in the future, is mitigated by using the tools that we, as a society, have at our disposal. As I've mentioned before, I met Kasha at Republica in the course of a session Mozilla and Wikimedia did on the openness of the web, its importance, its threats, and how we, as users and developers, can make sure that openness won't be lost in the near future. I asked Kasha to explain to me and us what exactly that entails. So openness is one of the issues we, we talk about a lot in the in the report, and it's something very important uh, for Mozilla. Um, 
openness is a core value that the internet uh, was built upon and that enabled actually the ideas and innovation explosion that came with the internet. And we see it everywhere from the way we publish content in the internet or the underlying software uh, we're using without maybe even knowing we're using open source components, but they're everywhere, even in products like Google or Facebook. And that brought us internet in the form uh, that we know now. It also can help us, I believe, face the challenges of, of the humanity that we're going to be confronted with very soon. But at the same time, it's a radical concept, so it's constantly at risk. We have a lot of uh, companies uh, developing close technologies really fast. When you think about the voice technology, for example, uh, the voice assistants, these are all closed technologies uh, and maybe technologies that we will be uh, our everyday technology we use uh, in, a, in a very new, near future. At the same time we see censorship attempts and, uh, and shutdowns happening all over the world. The copyright reform uh, we need to fight for uh, to, to get our open perspective uh, into it. Uh, so, so we cannot take things for granted. I think we, we got used to over the years in the 90s and early 2000 that internet is open and accessible to all, but we cannot put our guard down, so to say, because it's uh, uh, it is a threat for many people, and they're going to be fighting against that. So we need a, a broader movement, uh, a movement that we like to call at Mozilla a movement for a healthy internet. And it's not just Mozilla, it's not just Wikimedia and Creative Commons, but there is a lot of actors and players out there that share our values, and we need to uh, get together and start talking about it a bit louder because only then we can achieve something in a, in a very tough market. And there you have it. Openness is probably the one defining factor that connects people like us who are into self-hosting and people who produce open source software and people who fight to keep the internet a place where barriers and friction are removed in order to create a global society with the same opportunities for everyone. Especially, as Kasia mentions, when it comes to technological advances that will, sooner or later, define our everyday interactions with the web, like voice recognition or voice commands. We will undoubtedly in the future be using much more of this, and currently it is the big players that have their hand on that kind of technology. Think of all the Alexas and Siris and Google Homes and the way they already permeate our everyday lives. Shouldn't the future hold an option where we can make use of technological advances like this one without having to give up our privacy to one of the big players? Shouldn't we strive for a web that will give us all the advantages of a virtual open society instead of a society dominated by a few key players whose goal it is to keep us locked into their walled gardens forever? I, for one, can answer those questions with a resounding yes. And I hope you feel the same. And with that, I think we can conclude this episode of the Self-Hosted Web Podcast. Thanks again to Kasia for answering my questions about Mozilla, the Big Open, and her opinion on the open web. You can find everything about the Internet Health Report at internethealthreport.org. The music is by Poddington Bear via freemusicarchive.org under an attribution non-commercial 3.0 international license. 
If you have any suggestions on what to talk about in my next episodes, feedback about this episode or just general feedback about the format, don't hesitate to drop me a note at richard at selfhostedweb.org. And if you want to help this podcast reach more people, be free to tell others about it and review it wherever you get your podcasts from. See you next time.